0: Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the podcast with me, Jonathan Puddle. This is episode 80. I am very excited to have new music for you since it's another 10th episode. And I have a beautiful conversation to share with you with my new friend, Lori Ferguson Wilbert. She has written a beautiful book called Handle with Care. How Jesus redeems the power of touch in life and ministry. Uh, Lori and I recorded this way back in March before everything locked down. And when I was about to air it, it was just when everything went crazy and I needed a few weeks to get my feet underneath me. And then it felt like everything we needed to talk about was urgently kind of COVID survival. How do we do well in this space and to be honest talking about physical touch at that time seemed a little bit on the nose but now that we are you know 10 weeks depending on where you started timing and and obviously different parts of the world are opening back up but some of us aren't anyway now now i think it is important to talk about touch not because we're all allowed it so much as many of us are are experiencing really genuine like touch starvation uh, i wouldn't want to recognize my privilege right off the bat that i'm married and that i have children and uh, i have kind of in many ways a lot of touch going on that's uh, that's good <laughs> but it can also be overwhelming and uh, it's not always the platonic non-family broader category of touch that that I for one really need and I know many others are are similar to me in that but, but I also know many of my friends are single and live alone and are facing really painful difficult realities regarding no touch of another human being of course at the same time some people have a even a much more traumatic or nuanced relationship to touch given a history of of abuses or situations where they didn't have the autonomy over their body that they should have had. So the whole subject matter is one that is fraught with dangers, here there be dragons maybe some would say, but Lori's perspective and gentle approach which you'll hear as soon as you start hearing her voice is uh is beautiful and so i'm really excited and honored and blessed to share this with you today i i would commend all of you to go and pick up her book handle with care you'll find it linked in the show notes you'll also find uh, a link to an article in the guardian that i read last week all about touch Uh, it was an opinion piece titled i desperately miss human touch science may explain why and uh, it was really heartfelt piece from Diana Speckler, and I very much enjoyed that. I would go and go and check that out. Uh, but anyway, let's get into the show, and uh, you'll hear a little bit more from me at the end. This is so fun! Um, Yay! <laughs> I, I already like so. This is great. So you know, usually, I mean, for those of you listening in, you don't hear all the preamble that that we that we guests and hosts usually go through to just get some housekeeping things out of the way. Uh, So you won't know that I already feel really loved and cared for by Laurie, because we've just had a really kind of wonderful connection Mm. (laughs) in the first 10 minutes of this call. So I'm just really kind of feeling seen and loved uh, right now. So Laurie, thank you for coming on and being a really generous soul right off the bat.
1: Mm. Thank you for saying (laughs) that. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. Uh, I'm I was just thinking, I was going through this morning and, and and plotting out the, you know, what I wanted to talk to you about, what I what I wanted to hear from you. And I think what I what what I keep what I can't get away from is I've described your book to a handful of people. And people will, will often be asking me, you know, who, who's next? I've got, you know, my wife and a and a friend who lives with us and various different folks in my circle will say, oh, you know, who are you interviewing this week? What's coming up on the show? And so I said, "Well, I'm talking to this to this woman who's written this book all about like touch, like good touch." And they already like look at me knowingly because I'm a very touchy guy, and so touchy in the in the physical, good sense. Yeah. And they laugh and they're like, "Okay, that's cool that you found a good match." And mm-hmm. then and then I'm like, "Yeah, but but it's like we live in this really delicate moment regarding." touch especially between genders and not even between genders just in any kind of touch regarding touch consent all that huge conversation
1: yeah
0: and there's all these do's and don'ts around touch especially if you've grown up in the church world for the last handful of decades and then this point that you bring up right off the bat that jesus came into a context that was also hypercharged with touch of who could be touched who couldn't be touched And, and all of a sudden i'm like yeah Hold up. The entire Levitical framework has this massive list of rules of touching. Yeah. And into this world comes a Savior who touches. And even now, and every single time I've told anybody that, I the emotion in me just like... Mm. um, That Jesus would come and touch... I don't know if it's huge for everybody, but it's really (laughs) huge for me. (laughs) So um, I would love to just hear how how did some of those seeds blossom in you? Is that as as of a pivotal thing for you as it is for me?
1: Yeah, I think like the incarnation has always like, um, I've always, so just to be honest, I've always felt like, a bit arm's length from the incarnation like it just has never I don't think fully landed in me and through me in the ways that I've wanted it to like the spirit seems more real as a helper kind of far off the father seems more real and the Lord has had to do a life thing in in regard to those two aspects of the Godhead but I think Jesus I've just never felt super close to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think that's because I just always thought about like the incarnation full stop. And so when I began to think about, well, what does the incarnation actually mean? It means that Jesus fell and skinned his knee. And it means that he nursed from his mother. And it means that he had to sleep and use the bathroom and mm-hmm. felt sad. And felt happy, and then even beyond that, it meant that he had he got dirty. Yeah, yeah he had to, he had to get clean, and he um, got clean and had to get dirty. You know, like he had to he would go through these ritual cleansings, but then he would go out into the world and dirty himself back up again. And I think. I think for us in in our context, in Western Christianity, we maybe have a little bit more of a box for that. But I don't think in those times (laughs) there was a real box. I mean, that's why we see so many people doubting that he was the son of God because of of the way that he interacted as a body, you know, eating and, you know, working on the Sabbath and eating, you know, his letting his disciples, you know, eat and harvest food. And he was just such a countercultural idea to what they had of a savior. And I think he, he has been that for me too. And so when I began to read, it just was popping out all over the gospels of how Jesus came close and touched. And I just thought, man, that is so, um, I actually am in the middle of reading Leviticus right now in my Bible reading. And I'm like so struck so much more than I ever was before with how, and I like, was deeply in Leviticus while I was writing the book because I was thinking about these things, but just how off limits everything was and how detailed God was about those things, and how Jesus like totally stepped over those boundaries and did it with his whole body. It wasn't like he just pushed boundaries with his words, he actually went into those spaces and availed himself to. What God wanted for him, what his father wanted for him. So maybe that's a long answer, but I think that's that was kind of the the just the train for me that I got on, and that led me into. And then just like things happening in my own life, where I just thought, I'm so confused about touch. I'm so I had just recently gotten married, got married in 2015, and I just felt so confused, having grown up in a purity culture for sure. And so, yeah.
0: Yeah, well long answers are the best answers so <laughs> I give you permission to answer as long as you like. Yeah, I can I yeah, so much of that clicks with me. I feel like there's almost this whole thing where Jesus is just rocks up and says, "You have heard it said, don't touch a damn thing." Yeah. But I tell you, I'm gonna touch everything. I'm gonna touch it all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cuz I made it and it's good and I love it. I don't know if you're a fan of John Mark McMillan's music. Yeah, I just I had him on the show recently, and he said this this thing. Actually, I don't remember if he said it on air or if or if uh, was in the or
1: preamble, if, if it was in the
0: preamble, <laughs> or if it was in his Instagram. Either way, <laughs> I've been I've been chewing over his his latest album, and there's this song called "God Is Young," and he he said he he drew the inspiration from a G.K. Chesterton quote, where Chesterton basically says. Uh, children are endlessly fascinated by things and will be happy to see something happen over and over and over and over again. But an adult is not. They lose their fascination. They get bored of it. And so in that sense, God is clearly not an adult because God is endlessly fascinated by what he has created. He loves it all. And Chesterton says, you know, is it possible that the sun only rises each day because God says, do it again. Yes. Do it again.
1: Yes, I love that. And
0: something about that playfulness yeah. Uh, just came back to me right then and there, you know, talking about Jesus coming in and just being like, oh, you guys don't even get it. I just, I love it. I love it. I love you. I love you. Mm-hmm. Um It's incredible. I was listening to
1: something recently, and they were talking about. um, It was this New Testament scholar, uh, very familiar with the sort of the the ancient world, and he was talking about how much humor Jesus uses. He's like, you guys don't even know you Western Christianity Christians, you don't even know how how like funny Jesus was. Like he was a really funny guy, and he was a really fun guy. And I just that made me that just delighted me so much because I'm I am not. I tend to be pretty reserved emotionally and uh, not super high highs and low lows, although I'm learning to like push into those spaces and in, in a more full way. But um, to just think about Jesus being like a, a man of delight and fun. Yeah. Really, I think that makes him even more like personal to me. Um, like if, if our idea of Jesus is merely that he – uh, came to die on a cross and be risen again, that's a very, very small picture of who Jesus is. Yes. And I think anything that can sort of fill out or fill in those lines is really hopeful. The The very first scripture that made me want to write this book was, I really struggled with doubt in my faith. Very, very long periods of, of, and not I'm not just talking like dryness. I'm talking like real doubt in, um, and that's something I still struggle with. I'm not. I don't try to hide that. But I, I came across Thomas saying, you know, unless I can put my hands yes. in his wounds and, and in his side and his hands, like I'm not gonna believe. And I just think, you know, we call him doubting Thomas, but I'm like, I think that's a reasonable doubt. <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't expect most sure. of us would have the same, you know, doubt. And Jesus. Um Barry Jones says he made his wounds available to him. I think that's how he says it. And I just I love that because I think that's what Jesus he came to like offer the messiness. Yes. And the delight of like everything that he is. And that's something about that's so compelling to me. I don't I can't like put my finger on it exactly, yeah. but I'm I'm compelled by that Jesus.
0: Yeah, come on. A friend of a good 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 friend of mine preached on on Thomas recently and and he said you know, we yeah, like you said, we call him doubting Thomas. But all the disciples doubted. Yeah. You know, Mary runs up and is like, guys, I've seen Jesus. And they're like, Nope. Yep. Like the every single one of them doubted, but we but we only give Thomas a hard time. And there's probably some gender bias in there as partly a reason.
1: I think he was incredibly brave. Yeah, right. To be honest, I think he was I mean, that's courage to not just say, like, unless I see him, but to say, unless I thrust my hand in his side. Like, I'm like, that's, I don't have that kind of courage.
0: I want that. And this is the guy who three days or four days prior had said, let us go to Jerusalem and die, right? Yeah. He's all in for Christ. Yeah. I remember someone saying to me, this is not the voice of a doubting man. This is someone who's put it all on the line and can't have his heart broken anymore. There's nothing left to give. And so yeah, he was
1: an emotional guy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yes he was. Yeah. Yes he was. Go go you, Thomas. I've always liked Thomas for that reason. But then like wait, as you like the that Christ doesn't come in and correct him, but he dignifies his need. Yes. Like that
1: he offers his wounds to him.
0: It's it's it boggles my mind. Like the closeness, the intimacy. I mean Maybe this is going to make somebody feel super, super queasy, but I mean, obviously, we talk about the intimacy of of sexual intimacy of 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 bodily penetration.
1: Yeah, the messiness.
0: The messiness that the uh, you know that we are inside of one another, but that but Thomas gets to put his fingers in the Lord's body. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's got to mean things for us.
1: I think one thing I talk about in in the book is how. Uh, so Andy Crouch, are you familiar with Andy yeah. Crouch? He has this brilliant book. I talk about this all the time. Uh, it's called Strong and Weak. And in that, um, I just encourage your listeners to go look up the quadrant that, that Andy talks about. But he basically says, you can't have human flourishing unless all people carry with them both authority So a sense of autonomy over their bodies and a sense of vulnerability. So if we only carry authority, we're going to exploit people. Mm. And if we're only vulnerable, people are going to suffer. But if all people carry both authority and vulnerability, then humans flourish. Mm. And I just think what an example for both of them in that moment. Jesus, in all authority being given to him, shows up and makes himself vulnerable to to Thomas sticking his hands in his side, which seems like it would be really uncomfortable, but also Thomas saying like, I don't believe. Um, And so uh, unless I can do something, unless I can act in a particular way, put my hand in his side, uh, I won't believe. And so they're both carrying that authority and vulnerability um, and it leads to flourishing. And it's led to flourishing, not just for them, but in my own life, just that picture of the courage to show up and carry my vulnerability, my brokenness with me, um, my fears with me, my doubts with me. I'm not going to pretend to be without them. I can't pretend to be without them.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's thank you for for bringing that up. I I love that. I'm just seeing in even in that now, like for the vulnerability in his circle for Thomas to be mm-hmm. completely honest and open with with the guys, with the women, with with everybody there uh, to risk how they're going to think about him yeah. and the audaciousness. Right. To to be like, these are my terms. Yeah. Um the expect the like the expectancy that Christ might possibly be willing that this would be okay, that this would be within the boundaries of our friendship, um, yeah. you know, to fully own. I am a friend of his. If he is alive, he will let me touch him. um, Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, obviously any of us who, you know, follow Brene Brown, it's like we get, we get deep in vulnerability and and I've been, been growing and, and my understanding of community and, and vulnerability and availability have been the keys that I've learned for for mm. communal living you know that you can have availability but it's just a social club yeah you can have vulnerability and it's just therapy you know group therapy but but to have both that availability and vulnerability is what defines a, a community so to to add in authority to have the yeah, agency over oneself agency yeah it's a good word and then to you know, in, in our places of power, lay down that agency for the betterment, for the safety, for the protection of others. Um, fascinating. Thank you. Uh, I'm interested to hear more, maybe you, you began to touch on growing up in purity culture, getting married, uh, and entering that, that world of, of touch and, and sexual intimacy and all that kind of stuff. Can you share maybe some of the things that you ran up against? Um, cause I know a huge, many, many of us are, have grown up with that in our DNA.
1: Yeah, I think, so I got married at 34. Um, and so I, it, t- touch in marriage wasn't the first time I'd experienced sexual touch or platonic touch. Um, I think it was the first time I, I felt, and I'll, I'll explain this in a minute. It was the first time I felt sort of this, um, very Personal sacrifice maybe in a way that I hadn't before. Um, and so, yeah, I grew up in purity culture, totally steeped in it. Um, you know, 15 when I read I Kissed Dating Goodbye, the year it came out, um, totally bought into that system. Um, even though at age 15, I'd already been extremely uh, sexually intimate with a boyfriend. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, bought into the system, bought into the the system that says, you know, if you kiss, you're giving your heart away, um, which is so antithetical, like pause, so antithetical to the gospel, like the the heart of the gospel is that we would give our hearts away. Um, and so geez, even that phrasing is so problematic. But as a 15-year-old, you know, our frontal lobe isn't formed yet. We don't know these things and they, you know, they just get pulled inside us. And if we don't have parents who are, Talking about those things in mature ways, then it can really wreak havoc. And I think it really wreaked havoc on a lot of us, many of us. Um, Slash, meanwhile, I am, you know, growing up and uh, with my mouth and saying one thing and my heart saying another. I desperately, and I, I don't think I'm alone in this, I felt untouched I felt unloved I wanted to be touched I wanted to feel pleasure I wanted to have orgasms I wanted to be touched sexually um and so I just felt confused and it was you know it was almost like this Pauline like oh wretched man that I am like who will rescue me from this body of death and um and I wish now that I you know are you familiar with Jay Stringer no no He wrote a book called, I think it's called unwanted, but he talks about how like, this is totally going off on a tangent, but he talks about how you should have him on the show. He speaks about how, if we would just ask our lusts, what they are doing there, like, what are they trying to teach us? (laughs) They would help us get to the root of the thing that we need healing. And, and I I love that he talks about Mm -hmm. that because I think that is so important. Um, that was a rabbit trail moving back, um, anyway so just feeling that sort of dissonance I think in my spirit all my life all my adulthood and I think in marriage it just became really real um and so uh my husband is not a super physically affectionate person he had been married before and um in his previous marriage touch had mainly been you know for sex it was totally compartmentalized that way they didn't hug or kiss if they weren't heading to bed, you know, Mm -hmm. for sex, uh, grew up in a family where there wasn't a lot of physical touch. And so he just was confused when we got married. And I was like, I don't understand why you won't touch my arm or like hold my hand in public. Or like, I just thought he was ashamed of me and embarrassed of me. And, and I think that's the moment where I was, I just thought something's broken here. Mm -hmm. Something's broken that I think that now that I'm married, I can have all touch in every form all the time, um, and my husband doesn't. And it, I think it's a common brokenness. I think oh, For it's, sure. Yeah, it's not, it wasn't just us, and it wasn't just our specific stories. I think those, and then I just began to look at my life, and I just thought, I've always been confused about touch. I mean, from the time I was, you know, the story I opened up with, like two years old, I'm confused about touch, and I think most of us are. I don't think there's a person out there who's like, I, no, I shouldn't say that. I think there are some people who aren't confused about touch because they're frankly unwilling to like peel back the layers of what yeah, delving into it might.
0: Yeah, no is an easy answer.
1: Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Amy Bird wrote a book called um, Why Can't We Be Friends? And her subtitle, it's brilliant. Avoidance is not purity.
0: Mm-hmm. There it is.
1: And I love that cuz I'm like yeah, we yeah, no is an easy answer. It's it's and it's easy to like make no the holy answer. But I believe and I think Jesus shows us that yes is actually the holy answer. Yes. Um that he is a god of yes. Mm. Um, and I don't mean uh, he's a god who will compromise holiness, but that our holiness, you know, C.S. Lewis talks about you know we're we're making mud pies when there's a, you know, vacation at sea, like our idea of of what is of what we should be saying yes to is so much bigger and grander and more beautiful, on yes. this cosmic holy way.
0: Yes, yes, amen. Thank you for 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 sharing that. I I'm a really physical guy and and have struggled with touch my whole life have felt awkward have felt like i didn't know where it fit in i've similarly have big emotions and didn't understand where they all fit in Mm -hmm. um i I, at the age of 18 my father came out i learned that my father was gay my parents separated and divorced that began to add a whole bunch of color to okay right perhaps this is partly why i've never seen any kind of physical intimacy with between my parents you know there's no There's friendly affection, but not much more. And, oh, okay, that begins to contextualize. But I got married Mm -hmm. six months later. And so, you know, I'm the opposite end of the spectrum. I'm 19 and have, I mean, obviously full of raging young man hormones and have no close relational grid for heterosexual intimacy uh, beyond what I destroyed in my brain with porn, Yeah, you know, and then... I married a woman who was very self-protective mm. because of some experiences in her life, not due to touch, thankfully, but we've uh, had to yeah, due yeah. to emotional, some emotional relationships that, so for her, it was like walls up and, and I could sense that on an emotional level mm-hmm. and then ran into all those same confusions around touch where I was like, okay, I want to be touched all day long. But also, there's a part of me where I am pretty typically masculine. And so if you touch me, I'm definitely going to interpret that as sexual. Um, you know, to which she becomes resentful. I was like, well, I don't want to touch you if it's always going to lead towards sex. So, I mean, it's been an ongoing thing in our marriage that I've had to learn. Okay. I need to... If I value touch so much, it's on me to yeah. reprogram my own filters to receive touch non-sexually. Yes. If... if if, I mean, I've had to do my part to get comfortable to just have a have a female friend that I can reach out and squeeze her arm. Mm. And and it's taken me years. And my, my friends all laugh at me when we have these conversations because they're like, you are the nicest, safest guy who gives us no weird vibes. And I'm like, I have literally faked it my entire adult life. Mm. Uh, and, and yet I've had to do all that same work twice again in my head because when said friend reaches out and squeezes my arm, Mm -hmm. in a totally safe platonic way, there's a big part of me that goes way down this rabbit trail of of sexuality. And so I'm like, okay, it's on me to pull that back. For for my part, right, I think.
1: Well, I I think that, so Wendell Berry has this brilliant essay called uh, Health is Membership. And I talk about it a lot in the book. or I quote from it pretty extensively because I love it because I don't think it's just on you. I think it is on the community. Um, It is not, and I'm not abdicating. I'm not saying you should abdicate your responsibility. Um, It is our job to look at one another. And in the marriage chapter, I talk about this, like our, our primary role is not husband and wife. We are not primarily sexual beings. Um, We primarily are made in the image of God and we primarily The Bible, the construct the Bible has for believers is that of family, so brothers and sisters. And so, yeah, there is an element of sort of rewiring our brains. Um, And God is so creative to give us brains that can be rewired um, in healthy ways. It takes a lot of work, yes. Um, But we can be rewired to see... uh, men and women in our lives as brothers and sisters and as fellow image bearers. And for that to be the rubric through which we interpret and touch them. But I do think that that is, I, I do think it's a community work. I don't think it is. Uh, I don't think we are healthy if we only do the work ourselves. Mm. Um, I don't think we're healthy if we, um, yeah, I, I don't think that's health. So yeah. you can rewire your brain all you want, um, but if you're the only one who's doing the work, and not just you're the only one who's doing the work in you. So we need other people to help do the work in us, um, and we need to be help doing. We need to help do the work in them. Yes. Um. And so it is definitely, I think, communal work. Yeah. And th- and that's I think. Cool. I talk about that in the last chapter where we are part of a body. So we, yes, we are embodied, but we are also part of a body. We are part of a community of believers. We're part of the world. Um, this isn't a job that is easy or quick. Um, this is, this takes a lot of work and discipline and intention and prayer and, and all of those things, but it, but it isn't just on you.
0: Okay. Yeah. that's, Thank you. Uh, Could you unpack any more thoughts on what that work looks like in a community context or for people who are listening and saying, okay, uh, I like the sound of this, but I don't know what the work is.
1: Yeah. So uh, I'm very careful, and I say it again and again in the book. My work in Handle With Care is not to tell you how to touch or who to touch or when or where or why. My work is to help you think about how to touch touch and who to touch and when and where or why. Um, I'm very, very careful. And this is, you know, the negative reviews that I've gotten have all been like, there's no practical advice in here. I'm like, that's very much on purpose. Um, because, and here's why. Billions of people inhabit this planet. And that means billions of people have a story. And all of those stories are different. None of those stories are the same. And so my work is not to tell you how to interact in a robotic way with all people for all time and in all ways because what that leads to is things like the Billy Graham rule or, you know, I'm never alone with a woman or I don't hug someone that I'm attracted to, or they just, they lead to hard and fast rules that don't, they they aren't caring for the person in front of us. And so the work of a Christian, a Christ follower is to be like Christ and Christ cared for the person in front of him. Mm -hmm. And he didn't avail himself to the story that would be told about him. I think about Mary when he was, in the house of um, Levi, the, the Pharisee, and Mary came in and washed his feet. Like, what a like a like of all the stories of all the spaces where Jesus could have had that that story play out. It was in the house of a Pharisee, so it was in a place where he would be really possibly quite misunderstood. Um, and yet that's the story that Jesus availed him to. And so I think it's really unhelpful to offer practical. Um, specifics however I do think that um, one of my aims with the book and there's study questions or questions for reflection in the back of the book my hope is that those things would be talked about in community Mm -hmm. um, in small circles of men and women together men and women apart Um, I think men who are I think yeah I just think that it needs to be happening in multiple different contexts and multiple ways um, I think our minds are so quick to go to sexual, that route. Um, and, and partially that's because our brains have been wired to think that way. We've just been ravaged by a pornographic, sort of the war, like the artillery of pornography toward our brains. And so we, we do need to rewire them in some sense, but that's a community project again. Um, I think having these conversations in small groups is helpful.
0: Time to give a little bit of love to my patrons Thank you so much to everyone who supports me on Patreon, as well as, you know what, those people who support me uh, like through direct email transfer of money or PayPal, because I have a handful of people who don't like Patreon. And uh, so I'm thankful for those people, of course, too. you guys uh, underwrite all of this work. If you are not a patron and you are listening to this show, you should know that 52 or 53 faithful souls make this possible for you every week. And I hope that you too feel thankful to them for they are wonderful, and they make this possible. And if you are not one of them, you can become one of them so very, very easily by going to patreon.com slash jonathanpuddle. You can become a patron for as little as $3 a month, and it helps me genuinely. If I can get to 300 patrons, then all of my share of the family income is covered, and that is an absolute weight off my shoulders. And uh, so consider that. If, that, if you're moved, if you think that would be a place for you, you will gain access to a bunch of exclusive things and uh, much more close access to me. I, I maintain contact with my patrons and send them cards and things. So consider that and let's get back to the show.
1: I think I think being willing to take a good, hard, really honest look at our own lives and our own story because. As I was saying, you know, and Jay Stringer talks about this in Unwanted, those sort of impulses that we have are telling us something and they're trying to tell us help. They're trying to say, help, I'm wounded here. Help, I've been hurt here and I need healing. And that's so powerful, like that God would use our sin to, to reveal like our spaces of that mm-hmm. need deep healing. I think that's so kind of God. Like I can feel like sin is very I mean sin is there is a brokenness to sin that is just abhorrent to to our holy God. But also like isn't it kind of him to to lead us to repentance with our sin? Yeah. Wow. I find that so wow. kind of him. And, and so I think that's, that's another thing that has to happen is that we have to be honest about the spaces where we feel most broken in regard to touch, uh, the ways that we flinch from touch, um, the ways that we, we run to it or look for it, uh, in community with others where it's maybe not necessary to have, um, we don't, so I'm not, I, I try to say this again and again, this book is not to make everyone into huggers. That's not my aim. My aim is for us to think about it. Cause I yeah. think there are some people who don't need to be hugged sure. right now. And there are some people who do, yeah. and we have to be, we have to think about those things. And so I know it's not practical, um, but I think those are two starting points.
0: Yeah, that's good. It's really good, Lori. Wow. And, and and I'd vouch for the quality of the work you've done. Uh you know, I haven't, as I mentioned earlier, I've read about maybe a third. Uh and and I am thinking about these things. You've you present so much of your of your journey and then interspersed with it with scriptural narrative, with what Jesus does with touch. Even just one of the pieces I was reading this morning was on on children and talking about because I work with children, I'm a children's pastor, and and I immediately Ran, run into these kinds of issues because again in the modern church it's like okay well we have yeah. all these kinds of checklists and we all have these safety rules and and obviously we understand why we have these rules and yeah. the the critical need to protect children but the list of rules i was handed also uh there's like a Venn diagram with protecting children and actually also loving children and they like just weren't even touching and, you know, and so I'm like, yeah. look, if, if I've got a child who needs a hug, they're going to get a hug. If I've got a child who needs to be reassured, they're getting a hand on their shoulder. There's going to be contact. And it's more devastating for a child to yes. not receive it. Yes. Uh, Though yes, let's do our homework and make sure we have people in the room and and all those kinds of things. But it, but it's not hard to create yeah. a safe environment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you you touched on 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 one of the roots of of how we've ended up in a problem with children is not seeing them for children. Yeah, um, which I thought was was very insightful and definitely gave me a lot of room room for thought. Um, that that Christ. Sees them for who they are, for delicate little beings full of energy and joy and potential, unshackled by these deeper, more complicated thoughts. Um, You know, it's like the awakening that happens in us. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so kudos to you. You've done such a great Mm -hmm. job um, providing this resource for us to think through and wrestle through. Thank you. If you're talking to someone who has had a, a, a complicated, painful history of physical touch in their own life,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'm thinking of somebody in my life right now who I know has had a, a really, really traumatic history with touch. And yet they know the importance of touch and they have fought for it often without, without a guide, often without any kind of framework to to somebody who's sitting there going, yeah, okay, that's me. Where, what, what are some, maybe some thoughts and places for them to start some, some questions for them to ask themselves, some areas where they could start to unpack their relationship with touch and change that paradigm?
1: I think it depends on the person. Um, so it's hard to answer. I just want to be clear. It's very difficult to answer this question in a blanket way um, because I don't know the person that you're talking about. But um, in the in the back of the book, the final section of the book is a letter to those who've been abused. Um, and, I, and I hope the reader, so one of the first things that I tell the reader is that I was sexually abused when I was young. And so I am coming from that perspective and that is that has colored my story um, as well. Uh, but I think I would I would say, be very very tender with yourself. Um, I think one of one of the things that strikes me about Jesus is that, and for all the stories that he healed in the New Testament that we see, there are many people who weren't healed in the New Testament that we don't see, and um, some people won't be fully healed until. Uh, we see him face to face. And that's a really hard thing to reckon with. It's really hard to think, like, that's a very empty feeling. Like, is there healing for me um, here on earth? And I think the answer to that question is, um, we as humans can't heal what Jesus left unhealed. Zach S. Wine said that. I didn't say that. Um, So there are some things that Jesus leaves unhealed. However, he is also a good father who gives good gifts, and he has given us the common grace of tools like good therapy, really good therapy. Um, tools like EMDR can be a really helpful, very, very helpful tool. Um, there, there are tools out there that will help us sort of heal our brain In, um, and we're just finding out, you know, the past 10 years have been amazing in all the things that sort of we're finding out about the brain. And so I just want to say like, there is hope and there's healing out there. Um, I think of organizations like to write love on her arms. I mean, they're, they want to offer scholarships for counseling and things like that. And so we need to as much as possible sort of avail ourselves of those things. I think another thing is like, just be really gentle with your self and your body and um, your body is not, it does not belong to anyone else. And so it, you have autonomy over your body. Um, God gave your body to you. So he didn't give your body to anyone else. Like he didn't, not only, and I think we're, we we sort of theologize this in the church, like God gave you your story, be faithful with your story. Yes, but God also gave you your body. So the ways that it hurts, the ways that it um feels the ways that it flinches the ways that it comes towards someone all those things those belong to you Mm. don't belong to anyone else and and i believe that god um cares intimately about your body and he wants you to be sort of a partner in the healing of your body Uh, i think it's very damaging very, very damaging to people to tell them, you know, just look to Jesus or look to the cross or read your Bible or pray more um, for healing. Uh, Because I think God wants to, this is a partnership. It's not that we save ourselves. That's not the God. Jesus came down. Jesus saved us. But this is a work that we do together. And so care for your body, be tender with it, Um, forgive your body, but not not for the wrongs done against you you don't need to for you are not responsible for those things but be like forgive your body for not maybe getting to the place that you want it to be right when you want it to be there does that make sense like yeah. wow. when you wake up in the morning and you're angry at your body just be gentle with her him and um and know that god is gentle yeah. jesus was gentle yeah um so again, it's really complicated. It's very hard to give a broad brush answer to that but I yeah. asked
0: you the about the hottest question I could think of <laughs> um but thank you that was really gracious. I really enjoyed too your your words on self touch and mm. just the you know the, the the framework of you know i'm gonna i'm gonna rub my eyes and put my cream in my face, which I don't do. Uh, though my father tells me if I want to have,
1: get some some balm for your beard. I do use there. balm in my beard. I okay, know it's very great. I
0: know it's very fuzzy today. <laughs> now, my father says if I want to have youthful skin like him and he does look very youthful, I need to be moisturizing much more. Don't we all? Don't we all? <laughs> I think of Bernie Mac, bless his soul, from Ocean's Eleven when he's talking about having we should oh, all be right. sleeping with gloves on <laughs> with our gloves hands. Up, yeah. <laughs> Okay. So <laughs> but but to embrace our own body to to you know rub that that moisturizer into our face and go okay. It's okay.
1: I'm a it's created okay. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah.
0: We're going to get through this.
1: Yeah. Um I'm not God. Yeah. That's such a good reminder for me because I think I we all do it. We all we all believe that we're like little gods running around <laughs> trying to save the world and to i think to touch ourselves reminds us i'm i'm dust. Mm. I'm dust that God cares about. I'm God I'm dust that God formed. But I'm also just dust and it's okay.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like we get stuck in ditches around that one, right? It's like either yeah. Either we're God, and that's a heavy burden, or we're worthless, and God hates us,
1: yeah, we're worms that's, we're
0: worms, yeah. and that's a heavy burden, yeah um fascinating that the physical is the marriage of the two, yeah that I'm not God, but God was once nurtured by a human placenta, yeah, <laughs> wild <laughs> yeah. How how has this, because I know, uh, obviously, I don't know your journey a ton, but I know that you have, over the years, you and your husband have been in different church groups and traditions. H- how have you seen relationship to the physical and body change, or how is that informed? Which way is that? Has, has there been things that you've had to wrestle with, even denominationally or traditionally?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, that's a, big question, but (laughs) I do think that as I, as I grow and mature, I'll be 40 this year. I think I'm, and I'm, I don't believe in any way that I've arrived or that I have sort of the corner on any market at all. In fact, I think the older I grow, the more I see that every sort of church is embodying a different part of, I mean, Jesus, Mm -hmm. you know, Paul talks about the, the body of Christ, meaning like the small... C local church where each put different parts, but I, I'm beginning to see like the big C church as like different parts of the body as yes. well. Some churches do head really well. Some churches do heart really well. Some churches do hand really well. And I think we can, as Christians, we can get really frustrated when our church doesn't, you know, when we are more of a hand church and we want to be more of a heart church or whatever. It's um, a great way to put it. I think I'm in a place now where um, we, so we are, we are part of an Anglican church. Cool. And I, th- I think the things that draw me there and comfort me there and heal me there, and we've only been there for, um, I mean, it's, it's been a, it's been a long process, but, um, h- has been sort of the, the sacramental, physical, very, very physical qualities to worship there, um, lots of touch, lots of. Um, just very very physical standing it's it's embodied right it's very embodied um and that just comforts me and heals me right now this is where i am but i've i you know i've spent the last uh nine nine nine-ish years in in um more like reformed and Baptist spaces. And then I've spent my whole of my 20s in charismatic spaces. And I was raised in um, both non-denominational and more Mennonite uh, spaces. And so I kind of have a full gamut of oh,
0: you
1: do. experiences there. And I, I think there would have been a time where I thought, I don't think, I know there was a time period in which I thought, oh, I know all truth now. And <laughs> where I am right now is the right way to be. And I think I'm I am much more open handed about that now. Where I think, if, for me, Jonathan, the choice is, just gonna be really honest with you, the choice is a very open handed um, faith, or it is no faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I think that's probably the choice for a lot of people. And I don't mean when oh, yeah. I say open handed, I don't mean like a, a wishy washy toss to and fro kind of faith. I mean a very oh um, like a worshipful uh faith in the sense of saying like I don't know. Yes. But I'm gonna worship a God who does. Even though I don't know, but I'm gonna worship a God who does. You, like I believe help my unbelief. I believe help my unbelief. And that's what I mean by an open-handed faith. Um because I think this faith around minute particulars of what the Christian life looks like I think leads to 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 damaging hearts and hands and people and heads and in some pretty drastic ways. And I think we're seeing that play out. I don't know about in Canada, but oh, for sure. here in the, yeah, in the U S it's just, I mean, it's just every day we're seeing people fall. And I, I think it's partially because there's well a lack of embodiment to their fame. <laughs> um, yeah. And that was probably a long answer, but that's kind of where I am. You already had but, a
0: white card for for uh, long answers so, <laughs> so and Thank I've been you. trying to ask you difficult questions so but that that is so beautiful to me uh, I've I've been kind of all around myself but what you just said there about it's either an open faith or no faith the, uh, that's yeah I'm I'm in a very similar boat and I know so many people who are as well and like you said it's that's the tragedy is that some, And I I would like to say some of an older generation, it's not exclusively a generational issue, but but there is a little bit of a bias, uh, would look at that and would be like how weak, how uncertain, how like just, 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 you know, grow up in it or whatever And it's just, that's not what it is. Like
1: I, I think when we look at scripture, I mean, I'm just so struck by how much like being a Christian is to be meek and to be weak and to be what the world looks at as foolish. And, and maybe even what the church looks at as foolish. And I just think like, those are the marks of a Christian.
0: Not certainty. People. No, people not, are affirmed. Not bold as a
1: lion. No, people are affirmed <laughs> again and again and again in scripture, uh, for their faith, and a friend of mine says, faith is is the es- the essential part of faith is not being able to see what comes next. Mm-hmm. That is faith, mm-hmm. and I think we've we've put our faith in well, all kinds of things. I don't even need to get started in that. But,
0: yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, certainty and 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 so on. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Jacob wrestles with God.
1: I, all through Scripture. I mean, I just think. If you read your Bible, and I'm not—I don't mean to like demean anyone—but I think look like if you are not just a serious scholar of the Bible, but a devotional reader of Scripture, who's in the Word and just trying to to really wrestle—I mean, like I said, I've been reading Leviticus. I've been reading like the like I Genesis and Job and Leviticus and Exodus, and I—I I think I just started Numbers a couple of days ago. Grace and peace and to I, you. Say what? Yeah. Grace and peace to you. Um, I just think if you're reading about the God of the Bible, um, you are not seeing a clean, easy, orderly faith, and, and unless we can be honest about that, I don't. I think we're just going to keep pushing people away. Mm. Yeah. And that's. I mean, that's honest. To be honest, that's what I tried to do and handle with care. Is say like, this is not easy. This is messy. If it doesn't feel messy to you, then then you're probably doing something wrong it should feel a little bit messy and that's because faith is a little bit messy
0: yeah like we can put on gloves yeah and touch people with gloves yeah and ain't nobody gonna feel a thing with it yeah my wife my my wife my my wife often says when i hug someone they're gonna feel my breasts simple as that like
1: and that's i think that's so 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 he so here i like think about the what Adam and Eve did right after they sinned, they hid because they were naked and ashamed. And we are still doing that. We are afraid to be felt. We're afraid to be seen as a mere human body. We don't want people to know that we are a human body with all the quirks and curves and brokenness that come with being a human body. And yet what God is doing is is reconciling all things to himself. And part of that, I think, is to be... To be comfortable with the fact that we are bodies Mm. and we have breasts and we have thighs and we have genitalia and we have brains and we have teeth and eyes and ears and all these things that God is like, I knit this beautiful, even if it's not by the world standard, it's beautiful. Mm. I I knit this with intricacy and care, every part of it. And it's the same with the church. He's knit the church with intricacy and care and every part of it but it it's beautiful to be in the parts that don't right now.
0: Mm, wonderful. Thank you. Laurie, could I ask you to pray for us? Uh, yeah. Wrestle that yeah. down and seek to embody and, and own that beauty.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me too. This has My been pleasure. thank good. Yeah. Father, I just pray for all those who are listening right now. Um, you know, their stories, you know, the horror that they've lived through, you know, the joys that they have and the hopes that they have, you know, their fears, you know, the ways that their brains have been wired in certain ways, you know, their story, um, you know, their future and you know, their present, you know, the things that they're feeling and wrestling with right now, you know, all of those things, um, I pray that that would comfort us instead of scare us. That that would help us and heal us. Um, you do not mean harm for us. So I pray that any ways that I've any words that I've spoken today that um, would harm, cause harm, that you would remove those from anyone's memory. Um, that you help me to repent for anything wrong that I've said. Um, and I pray that someone would walk away today and they would feel just a tiny bit more healed. Um, a tiny bit more loved and seen by you. Um, I thank you for Jonathan. Thank you for this space where he wants to have good, candid conversations about hard things. pray you bless his ministry. Um, bless the work of his hands. Uh, you bless his body. I pray all this in your son's name. Amen.
0: Thank you, Lori. Guys, go click on the show notes, order Lori's book, Handle with Care. It is absolutely beautiful, compelling, wonderful work that I was so excited to discover and enjoy. And uh, I'm going to take a vacation, I think, in July, and I need to finish reading the rest of it. I read the first half and then I, I didn't read the second because of all the books i have to read for this podcast which i love anyway uh as as you know this where are we this week it's the 28th of may it's been a wild week it was my birthday two days ago also george floyd was killed by a police officer kneeling on his neck for nine minutes he was a black man uh murdered by a white police officer in public view on camera uh I've been connecting with a lot of my friends who are uh, Black, Indigenous, or persons of colour, and what I'm hearing from them amidst the pain and, you know, the confusion and the fear and the hope and the dreaming of better is is really, uh, white people need to understand that this has always been going on. The only thing that's changed is that now it's on camera, and now those of us who've been able to ignore these things are having to reckon with them for the first time and not to put too fine a point on it or to take sight away from this terrible uh, killing but this seems to be what is happening in so many different areas of our society right now that what has always been the case is being revealed for what it is. And those of us who have benefited from any part of it uh, are having to confront things that we would rather not confront. I would rather not see these graphically violent videos in and, and photos in my social media feed. But I have the luxury of ignoring them if I so want to while... Well, well, people of color don't have that luxury because i mean as we saw with atatiana jefferson last year you can be killed in your own home and so i just i just feel it would be remiss of me to let this episode in this week go by without without calling attention to that If you are white, like me, and you are uncomfortable, if you are confused or you don't really understand, or, you know, you're hearing people talk about the evils of whiteness and and you feel like they're telling you that you at your core are evil, I I, I do want to say that I understand. I I get how uh, this can feel very painful for us and very confusing, but I want to remind you... Uh, to keep in perspective that we are talking about discomfort from learning things we don't like. We are not talking about the existential fear of being murdered while we go for a run. And those are, those are categorically different kinds of fears. And it, it, it's hard, but we need to do our part to make sure that our discomfort... And our pain and our learning do not take center stage. Uh, The suffering and the trauma of others uh, needs to be centered. So I would encourage you evermore to tune in to yourself, to listen to your heart, everything that it's trying to tell you. Do not necessarily go and follow what it's telling you to do, but listen. Be present to yourself. Listen to God and hear what his spirit may be saying uh, in the midst of this time we are currently alive. Listen to your friends. Listen to your family. Listen to those you don't know. Listen to those in your city who are hurting Listen to the stories of those in your church who don't look like you or whose experience hasn't been like yours. Uh, Just because you have not experienced something does not mean it isn't real and isn't a critically driving force in the life of others or isn't a danger that others aren't exposed to. So uh, dig deep, do the work. Uh, I know it's hard, I know it's scary. I know it feels like death and rebirth, but guys and girls, that is what we're talking about here. Our our entire world is desperate for transformation, for death, for resurrection, for all things to be made new in Christ, where all lives would matter, would be treated equally. Uh, and where the image of God would be seen and cherished in everyone. Oh, my heart aches for it. But we will only get there uh, by those of us who wield unequal power and influence and who have benefited from the subjugation of others going on the long, hard journey of sorting out these issues in our own heart. It's far too easy to look at somebody else and think, oh, they're a racist and I'm not. Every single one of us has to do this work inside of us, whether it's race, whether it's touch, whether it's sexual abuse, gender, exploitation, whatever it is, uh, we need to do that work. So I leave that with you as we finish this 80th episode of the podcast. I'm so honored to count you as a listener, to be able to share this with you. Grace and peace to you. May you have hope. May this COVID crisis come to an end as soon as it can. May life and joy and hope be all of yours in abundant measure. If you're looking for me online, you'll find me at JonathanPuddle.com. You'll find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at jonathanpuddle. Puddle. Much love and grace to you all.